0: as a pastor, one of the things I really appreciate is when people leave. Well, let me explain that. Um, Every so often, um, somebody will just disappear and we have no idea where they went. Um, And as a pastor, I'm like, do I contact them? Do I not? Well, every once in a while, somebody leaves well and gives us a heads up. Hey, we're moving and we're going to be seeking a church closer to home. Hudson, Mary, Julia, would you come up here? Um, They reached out to us a couple weeks ago, letting us know they had moved to Spring Hill, which is quite the hike to come all the way up here. And um, so we just wanted to uh, have a chance to pray over them and send them as they um, join up with a new expression of God's church closer to home. Do you want to say a few words? Yeah, mainly I just want to say thank you. The past two years have been incredible. We've made so many good friendships. I see so many familiar faces right now. Thank you for loving me and my family so well. uh, And I'm just so appreciative that we are a part of a church that understands that this is just a building and we're just a small group of the body of Christ. And so as we move on, we're not leaving. We're all still together on the mission. So thank you, guys. Let me pray for you guys. (laughs) <laughs> father we thank you for Hudson and Mary Julia and the kids thank you for uh, the way you've worked in them and through them here at Fellowship Nashville as part of this local expression of, of your church and father we send them now um, with a blessing asking that you would use them to be a blessing in their new context father provide for them I pray that they would find a good gospel preaching church to connect with and that will shepherd them well in which they can use their giftedness to glorify you and draw others to yourself. So, Father, we, we send them now asking again that you would bless them. And we thank you so much for the crafts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless, guys. Will you stand with me as we read scripture this morning? Our scripture reading will be from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I'll tell you what, why don't we read this out loud together? Here we go, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Pray with me. Father, as we look into your word, would you open our hearts to what the Spirit has to teach us through these words of Jesus today? Father, thank you that we can trust you and that you are a good, good father, and that you listen when your children pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you for joining us today as we continue our message series through the famous sermon of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been with us through this series, you may have noticed from our scripture reading today that this is now the third time that Jesus addresses the topic of prayer in his sermon. And one of the most basic principles of Bible study is this. If something is repeated, it's important. If something is repeated, it's important. I did that on purpose. And I would assume that if you're a follower of Jesus, you would agree, at least intellectually, that prayer is important. It's an important part of what it means to follow Jesus, an important part of what it means to be a Christian. How many of you would agree with that in your head? Okay, see most hands going up. Um, The Mansfields didn't raise their hands, and that's something, pastoral note. Um, (laughs) But on a practical level, how many of you have your doubts about prayer? How many of you have prayed for something, but you didn't get it? Let's see a show of hands. Okay, the Mansfields raised their hand that time. (laughs) It's a common experience. Even now, you might be praying about something, praying about a difficult relationship issue, praying about a health concern, an adverse financial situation, a vocational change. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. But it just doesn't seem to make any difference in your circumstances. And when that happens, if you're at all like me, and I know I am, doubt creeps in and you begin to wonder. You be- begin to, to think some of these following things. Maybe prayer doesn't work. Maybe prayer doesn't work. Or maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not praying enough. Maybe I'm not praying with enough faith. Maybe God isn't listening. Or maybe he hears me, but he just doesn't care. Have you been there? Can you relate with these thoughts, these doubts? Well, if you can relate even just a little bit with these doubts about prayer, I believe that you're going to be profoundly encouraged and challenged by these words of Jesus that we're going to study together today from Matthew chapter 7. So if you're taking notes, we're going to be drawing out three principles about prayer, from our study through this text. You can write three principles, three prayer principles on the top of your outline. Let's dive in together with verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, this verse is often ripped out of its context and misused by so-called Bible teachers um, that... uh, many of of whom you can find on TV, um, who put the emphasis not on the imperatives to ask, seek, and knock, but rather on the outcomes. So they don't put the emphasis on the, the imperatives as Jesus intended, but on the outcomes. Will be given, will find, will be opened. And they quote this verse like this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. They twist Jesus' words here into absolute promises, turn God into some kind of cosmic genie and peddle a false gospel that caters to the selfless whims of their followers. And then if their followers happen to complain that prayer isn't working for them, what do they do? Well, then they will just put the blame on the follower and say, well, you're just not praying with enough faith. But if you send me your faith seed money, then I'll pray for you and that's when you'll get exactly what you're asking for. There's a special place in hell. I don't say that lightly because God's word says it. Blackest darkness is reserved for false teachers. It's not going to go well on judgment day for false teachers like this who have shipwrecked the faith of thousands with empty promises of self-focused blessings from God. God. Verse 8 makes it clear that, that the emphasis of Jesus here isn't on the outcomes of receiving, finding, and opening, but on the commands to ask, seek, and knock. Let's read on, verse, verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And if the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those who ask are the ones who receive. Those who seek are the ones who find. Those who knock are the ones who get doors opened. And if you don't do any asking, seeking, or knocking, you can't expect to be to have any receiving, finding, or opening. So these verses are simply strong encouragements from Jesus to pursue God, practice pursuing God through prayer. They are not ironclad guarantees that you will get exactly what you've asked for when you do. Okay? And this is backed up not only by our everyday experience in prayer, but also in the broader context of Scripture. For instance, the brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 of the book he wrote, says this, you do not have because you do not ask. And this is where a televangelist will conveniently stop. (laughs) You do not have because you do not ask. And then verse 3 goes on to say, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So motives matter in prayer. Just asking doesn't somehow obligate God to give you exactly what you want. Prayer isn't some magical formula that automatically makes your life go well. The disciple John writes in 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, so so what's the caveat here in prayer? If we ask anything how? according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him so our so aligning our prayers to the will of god is also important this is why jesus instructs us to pray earlier in his sermon what your kingdom come your will be done not my kingdom come my will be done To to pray, your kingdom come, automatically means my kingdom go. Prayer principle number one. Faith is not a force, and God is not a genie. Faith is not a force, and God is not a genie. Our faith in God doesn't mysteriously bend his will to ours or manipulate the universe to fulfill our desires. In other words, prayer is not simply the Christian version of manifesting, okay? Uh, If you're not familiar with manifesting, Google it. It's an interesting cultural phenomenon right now um, based on the core belief, really, that you are your own God and you can create your own reality through positive thinking. I'm not endorsing it. Uh, It's just a recycled form of monism. But I do point it out because it's very, very similar to how many Christians use prayer to try to manipulate God into doing what they want, get him to do what they want, to bring their own desired outcomes into reality. But faith is not a force and God is not a genie who pops out of a lamp and grants you all your wishes when you pray. Okay, that being said, before we go any further, In our text today, I want you to notice the progression in Jesus' commands or imperatives to ask, seek, and knock. You know, what does a child do when they want something from their parent? Let's assume the child can talk and their parent is present, okay? The child can talk, the parent is present, they want something. What do they do? They ask. They ask. Now, so they, Daddy, can I have a snack? Now, let's say, let's say the parent isn't present, isn't in the room. What does a child do? Well, they go looking for their parent. They seek. And what does a child do when they're looking for their parent and they encounter a closed door because mommy or daddy's just trying to get a moment of quietness to keep their sanity? Those of you with toddlers are, are laughing. I tell you what a child doesn't do. A child doesn't encounter the closed door and immediately think, oh, this closed door must mean that mommy doesn't want to be disturbed right now. (laughs) So I'll just wait quietly and maybe ask her later. No, what does a child who has a trusting relationship with their loving parent do in that situation? Well, first, I'll just try to open the door. But if the door is locked, as any wise parent would do, what do they do? They knock, they knock. Do you see the progression here? Ask, seek, knock. Jesus is encouraging us here to approach God with a relational closeness like a dependent child approaches a loving parent, boldly, unashamedly. And Jesus makes this illustration even more obvious in the next verse, which we'll get to in just a second. But for now, here's prayer principle number two, and that's this prayer isn't magical, but it is relational. Prayer isn't magical. But it is relational. Jesus invites us to approach God, the God of the universe, as his children. And this is a theme he's already developed earlier in his sermon uh, when he's encouraged us to address God as how, or how, to, how should we address God in the Lord's Prayer? How does it start? Our Father who is in heaven. So he's, he's encouraged us to address God as our heavenly Father. Chapter 6, verse 9, and then tells us again in chapter 6, verse 32, that our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we do what? Even before we ask Him, He knows what we need. But Jesus still encourages us to here to do the asking because prayer is one of our primary means for relating to God like dependent children of a loving Father. In other words, our relationship with God is deepened by communication with Him as we ask, as we seek. As we knock, as we pursue Him in conversation. You know, the main point of prayer isn't getting what we want. The main point in prayer is getting God Himself. Prayer isn't magical, but it is relational. Okay, let's look at how Jesus expands on this thought in verse 9. Or which, of, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now when you stop to think about it, you know, a rounded stone could look a lot like a loaf of bread. And if a child bites down on that, it's going to chip a tooth. Or the, the scales on a serpent can outwardly resemble the scales on a fish, but if that serpent is venomous, it's not going to go well for that child. Or if the serpent's dead... That's still something that was considered unclean in Jewish society. You didn't eat serpents. That's a no-no. It's not good for you. Verse 11, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who will ask him? So here's another one of Jesus' arguments from the lesser to the greater. He loves to use these in his teaching. He does it quite often. If this lesser reality is true, then this greater reality obviously is true. If you as imperfect human parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will a perfect God give good gifts to his children when asked? Now, if the question hasn't already formed in your mind, let me form it for you. What exactly are these good gifts? What are exactly these good things that Jesus talks about in this passage? Because, I don't know about you, but I've prayed for what I personally consider to be good things, easier circumstances, more money, healing of some sort, a Tesla. I have not gotten them. Here's the deal. What you and I may consider good things in our limited and finite view of our lives in the world may not be the same about, as what God considers good things for us in the moment. Just to expand on this illustration of a loving parent that Jesus uses here. How many of you, how many parents do we have in the room? Okay. Um, some of you have grown children, but some of you are right in the thick of it. How many of you, when your kids were small, would give them exactly what they asked for all the time. Let me see a show of hands. Okay, good. I was about to call Child Protective Services. (laughs) And if you did that, you'd be a terrible parent. Because many of the things your child thinks is a good idea in the moment really are not good ideas. Hey, Daddy, can I eat this whole pack of Oreos? Um, no. Hey, Mommy, can I go out and play in the street with Jimmy? Absolutely not. What if the good thing God wants to give you is not easier circumstances, but deeper character? What if the good thing God wants to give you isn't more money, but more dependence on him? What if the good thing God wants to give you isn't physical healing, but a stronger hope in the fact that one day he's going to give you a resurrected body? in a recreated earth that's whole and well again, forever? What if the good thing that God wants to give you isn't a Tesla, but more of himself? Prayer principle number three. We can trust God to give us good things in his time, and in his way when we pray. We can trust God to give us good things when we pray. Now, his definition of good things might not match our initial definition of good things, but when we approach him in trust with our often imperfect requests of what we think are good things, our relationship with him is still going to be strengthened, it's still going to be deepened as he slowly transfers our trust from ourselves to himself, molds our hearts to pray for what actually is good in light of eternity. You know, for example, almost nine years ago, I was praying for God to rescue me, rescue me out of a difficult vocational circumstance. He didn't. He intentionally kept me right where I was. But here's what God did do in the midst of that mess. He did deep heart work in me and taught me that my value to him was not based on my ministry production or my ministry performance. I prayed for what I thought was a good thing. Dear God, moving my family to Tennessee was the biggest mistake of my life. Please rescue me from this vocational mess and get me out of here. Please, God, move me somewhere else. My friend Brian Petak here, who's visiting from Colorado today, was with me when I started praying these prayers, but at least we were in Africa on a safari. But answering that prayer exactly like I prayed it apparently wasn't a good thing for me and my family, in God's eyes. I asked, I saw it, I knocked, but the door that God opened for me was totally different than the one I thought he would. And now in hindsight, I recognize that God knew exactly what he was doing all along. And if I could go back... And repray those prayers, I would now ask for exactly what God did to answer them. God, please rewire my heart in the midst of this vocational mess. God, teach me what it means to live and minister out of the overflow of your approval rather than seeking approval through my ministry. God, Use me exactly where you have me as you do your deep heart work in me. God, please make me a spiritually and emotionally healthier dad, a spiritually and and emotionally healthier husband, a healthier pastor. That was the good thing that God wanted to give me. He still wanted me to come to him in early 2015 with my unfiltered and imperfect prayers of what I thought was good, but he knew that process of prayer would actually serve to strengthen my relationship with him, deepen my trust in him, and the fact that he knows best. You know, I'm not a country music fan, but Garth Brooks got it mostly right when he wrote the lyric to um, some of God's, wrote the lyric, some of God's greatest gifts are what? Unanswered Prayers. Okay, some of you are country music fans. If you, if you don't know that song, Unanswered Prayers, you know, look it up, give it a listen. It's pretty creative. Um, pretty clever. But the reality is, I, I, I disagree with a couple things. One, how he addresses God in that song, The Man Upstairs. No, don't do that. Um, but um, I also disagree that un, unanswered prayers even exist for the child of God. Um, there's, there's not unanswered prayers. There's just God choosing not to answer our prayer in the way that we think might be good for us in the moment. There's God choosing not to give us what we think is good in the moment, so that He can give us what He knows is best in light of eternity. In other words, He always gives perfect answers to imperfect prayers. He always gives perfect answers imperfect prayers. Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now this verse doesn't mean that everything that happens to us will be good, far from it. This is a broken world and broken things are going to happen to us even as children of God. But it does mean that God will weave together all that brokenness for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. So let's quickly review our three prayer principles. Would you say these out loud with me? Number one, faith is not a force, and God is not a genie. Number two, prayer isn't magical, but it is relational. Number three, we can trust God to give us good things when we pray. Now, like most preachers, Jesus sometimes recycled his sermons. And in a passage over in Luke's gospel, Jesus was teaching on this same topic of prayer probably in a different setting and we get an even better idea of what Jesus had in mind when he said that God the Father would give good things to his children from this passage. Luke 9:11 records Jesus saying this. It will sound familiar. And I I tell you, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. See, he's recycling a sermon. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Pretty much the same exact words as we find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And then in verse 11, Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You know, a little different phrasing, but still the same same idea. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give... The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know, we would expect Jesus to say good gifts here, right? But he doesn't. What does he say? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Well, what's the significance of this? The Holy Spirit is the epitome of what Jesus means when he says good things. This is a profound thought, and I want to just take a few moments to chew on this as we, we wrap things up this morning. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity that now indwells every believer in Jesus is the ultimate answer to all of our prayers. Get this, through our imperfect prayers, we are given, what? The very presence of God. You you prayed to receive Christ, and when you prayed, saying, I need a savior, At that very moment, the spirit of our eternal God came to indwell you and is with you always to the very end of the age. Through our imperfect prayers, we get God himself dwelling in us. What an answer to prayer. If that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what will. God has never promised to rescue us from our circumstances, but he has clearly promised to be with us through them. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse eight, that's repeated for us in Hebrews 13, five. And now this is how Jesus could say to his disciples when he was getting, getting ready to leave them, getting ready to ascend back into heaven. He said what to them? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And right after that, he's gone. It's like, was he contradicting himself? No, how did he fulfill that promise? Wait here for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. At the day of Pentecost, when that promise was fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit is still with us and dwelling us as God's children today. He's still with us to the very end of the age. And he's interceding for us. I want to show you this verse, this couple of verses from Romans chapter 8. Get the the profoundness behind these words. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So what does the Spirit do? He takes our imperfect prayers and translates them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He takes our imperfect prayers and says, Father, what they're really asking for is this. They don't know it yet, but what they're really asking for is this. They're asking for deep heart change in the midst of their circumstance, not just a circumstantial change. So through our imperfect prayers, we are given the presence of God with us, interceding for us. and not only that, we're also given the very power of God through us, the power of God through us. Jesus promised his disciples that they would receive power and be his witnesses when the Spirit came on them at the day of Pentecost, which happened. And that same same promise is true of us. The good gift of the Holy Spirit empowers us as Jesus' disciples in the world today to continue the work and ministry of Jesus right now in the here and now in Nashville, Tennessee. One of my favorite quotes on prayer is by John Piper who wrote this. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief through the power of the Spirit. Is it not surprising that prayer malfunctions when you try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den? If you want to see more of your prayers answered in the way that you pray them, Start praying prayers like this. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells me, please use me today to point others to Jesus. That is a prayer in accordance with the will of God. Through our imperfect prayers, we're given the presence of God with us. We're given the power of God through us. And thirdly, say this out loud with me, the promise of God in us, Our deepest prayers, my friends, have already been answered. The prayer for salvation from the brokenness in our hearts and salvation from the brokenness in our world has already been answered, and the Holy Spirit is the evidence of that answered prayer. Where do I get that? Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Who? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you've prayed for God to save you from your sin and give you eternal life, then the Holy Spirit in you is the promise that your prayer has already been answered. True, we still live in a broken world. True, we won't be exempt from that brokenness. Given God is letting the evil run a little longer. But our greatest prayer has already been answered. And we've already been guaranteed eternity with Jesus, our creator on a recreated earth. Well, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more tragedy. There will be no more hate. There will be no more senseless acts of violence. There will be no more war. There will be no more evil because King Jesus will be on the throne for the rest of eternity. Amen? Resentment towards God for what we consider to be unanswered prayer often occurs when we overvalue this life and we undervalue what he's given us. Eternity with him. This life is a single droplet of water compared to the ocean of eternity. But granted, when we're swimming in the droplet, it feels like the ocean. My friends, never judge God on what happens in the drop of water. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and an eternity of blessing awaits us and our greatest prayers have already been answered and God has already given us his Holy Spirit as a promise of that fact, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance where? In eternity as God's children on a recreated earth where all is made new. God has already given us good things. Let's say this one more time. Faith is not a force, and God is not a genie. Prayer isn't magical, but it is relational. And we can trust God to give us good things when we pray. As the worship team makes their way back to stage, I want to encourage you to keep asking, keep seeking. Keep knocking as a child of a loving, heavenly father. Keep pursuing him through prayer, knowing that he loves you more than you can imagine, knowing that he is working all things together in your circumstances and in your life for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Pray with me. Father, thank you for these words from our Savior thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, that your spirit indwells us, empowers us, is with us, is a promise guaranteeing our inheritance in eternity. So Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to keep coming and asking and seeking and knocking, even with our imperfect prayers, even with our our cloudy perspective on life we only see what's temporary but we know you see into eternity and beyond we know that you see the full picture you see the 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 front side of the tapestry you're weaving when we only see the underside with all the knots and threads in this broken world but we trust you as children of a loving father we come to you Help us not to give up. Help us not to become discouraged. Help us not to doubt your goodness. May we be reminded of your goodness day in and day out as we reflect on what we've already been given in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we close with a couple songs of worship which remind us of the goodness of God. I want to invite you to come to a very tangible reminder of his goodness that are on these two tables right here at the front. We do this regularly as a body because Jesus commanded us to. When he was with his disciples the night before he went to the cross, he, at that Passover meal, reinterpreted two elements of that meal. He took the the bread and he broke it and said, "This, this bread is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he reinterpreted that as well and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember what I'm going to do for you. And they would see that very thing the next day when he hung on the cross, his body breaking, his blood flowing on their behalf as he bore the weight of sin, as he was the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. My friends, this is a tangible reminder of how much God loves us and what he did to bring us peace and reconcile reconcile us to himself so we could spend eternity with him. So please stand with us as we sing. And as you're ready, come in groups of eight to ten and partake of the table.